All right, friends, I want to speak with you this morning about the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I want to speak with you about that is because as we look at the churches today, I think that there is some form of what I would call a crossless Christianity. Christianity without the cross. And I realize that we live in a time of great challenge and even opposition for the church in the U.S. today that we have not seen over the last 10, 20, 30 years or so. And part of that is really our fault. It is the fault of the church. It is because of an eroding theology and maybe even just an eroding emphasis within the church where slowly but surely the cross kind of sneaks over to the sidelines of the church. And when I speak about the cross, I'm not talking about some sort of decoration, which is wonderful that you have it up here front and center to remind us that's important. Uh, But I'm not talking about just some decoration, but the truth, the fact, and the theology of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we see this come out in some popularized type um, philosophies and theologies. Uh, I was looking uh, recently here, Oprah Winfrey seems to be the theologian for America today. And, and, she, and you know, she, she's friends with, with, with a number of church leaders as well. And one of her friends is Father Richard Rohr, who says, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross is a revelation of the infinite and participatory love of God, not some bloody payment required by God's offended justice to rectify the problem of sin. Such a storyline is way too small and problem-oriented. Isn't that sad? And this is somebody that she's promoting as wonderful Christian theologian. Yes, it is problem. It does have problems in it, doesn't it? But it's not too small. And we have to come back to this idea of what does the cross really mean for me personally and for us as Christians and the body of Christ. And so this sort of popularized idea that Jesus Christ on the cross, you know, it was just sort of a, a nice picture or example for us to follow has become popularized and it has even been called Christ consciousness. We just need to have Christ consciousness today. And what they're effectively doing is they're getting rid of the cross. And a crossless Christianity is a problem for us. You see, the problem is that we don't really want to look at the gory details of sin and death and repentance and those difficult things. Yeah, there's a lot of problems, but the cross solves those problems. A crossless Christianity will often be big on practical needs, personal improvement, social activism, and weak on personal guilt, the holiness of God, and the need for repentance. I like what John Stott said. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. It must be personal. And we have to see how it is applied personally. Primarily, a crossless Christianity is a Christianity without sacrifice because we honestly don't see the need for it because we don't see the problem of our own sin. This reminds me of something that happened in Ukraine a number of years ago, Chernobyl, 1986, where when this began to happen, the engineers downplayed the problem. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, everything will be okay. 
Oh, you just need to move out for a few days or a week or two weeks, and then you can get back. Why? Because they couldn't see it. It was an invisible killer, and they couldn't see what was going on. And here's what, was really, what is really interesting is that when this happened, Chernobyl, when it caught on fire, it blew up, blew all of these radioactive chunks onto the roof of the, radi- of the uh, reactor, They tried all these different ways to get rid of it. And they wanted to use robots. So we don't want to put a person up there that's going to put their life in jeopardy. And they had Japan and the U.S. and and all these different countries saying, we have a robot that can do it. We have a robot that can do it. You know what? There wasn't a single robot that could do it because the radioactivity was so high. Finally, they came to the conclusion the only way we can do it is to sacrifice our young men send them up there with shovels and let them shovel it out. The only way was to send a person to sacrifice their own life and their own health. And to me, that's very analogous to the cross. That when we think of the cross, sometimes we think, well, is it really necessary? Couldn't we just come up with some technology? Couldn't we just come up with some sort of technological solution to our sin problem? And the answer is no, there is none. I mean, it almost reminds me a little bit today of the pandemic and people think that, well, through technology, through technology, we can solve this health crisis. And the reality is we kind of can't. But the cross required a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message about the cross is nonsense to those who are being destroyed, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. You see, the world around us views it as foolishness because they don't see sin in the way that we begin to see sin as we, our eyes are enlightened by God's word. They don't see the problem. It's like that radioactivity that just, is it really there or is it not? And yet it is a deadly, deadly killer. In fact, it's interesting that some of these first responders to the Chernobyl incident, they had to be buried in lead-lined coffins because even their bodies were dangerous for other people. There was so much radioactivity in it. And so when we fail to see sin and how much destruction it is causing, then we fail to understand the cross and we fail to understand God's holiness. So when we talk about the cross, there's three things that I'm speaking about here. And that is Jesus' voluntary death that, is, that was sacrificial and substitutionary, his burial, which proved his death, and then his bodily resurrection, which proved his victory over death and sin. Those are the three facts, and we find them in 1 Corinthians 1, 15 through th- 1, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This, these are the facts, and th- these are really what Paul centered his ministry on, this truth. Of Christ, his cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I want to give you quickly five 
reasons why I believe that the cross of Christ is valid and, and vital for us today as Christians. And first of all is this, and I don't think that it's much talked about, it is that the cross protects God's holiness. So we're very selfish when we think about these things. That Yes, God did it for you. He did it for me. But first of all, the cross protects uh, God's holiness. The cross has a Godward aspect and a manward aspect. And so the idea of sacrifice for sins is really a protection of the holiness of God that we see from the earliest scriptures. We see it in Adam and Eve when they sinned. And what did God do? Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, skins and clothed, clothed them. And this was, of course, a, a temporary thing, wasn't it? It was really just a sign that, listen, you got a problem and we got to do something about it, but for now we're just going to put clothes on you so that you will remember that this has to be taken care of. And again, later, when God initiated his relationship with the people of Israel, remember he put many boundaries, boundaries on the mountain when he came down. He put a veil in the temple. He said, this is where God's holiness is going to reside. When God comes down, you need to stay away. When God's presence is in the temple, you need to stay away because we need to keep the purity of God's holiness. So Exodus 26, 33 says, And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in, in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate you from the holy place from the most holy. And... Also, Leviticus 16.2 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. These are key symbols and pictures of God's holiness and really how destructive it can be to us if we are not holy. And it's important for us to remember that. When Jesus died on the cross, we see, though, that something significant happened. You probably know what happened, right? What happened to that veil when Jesus died on the cross? It was torn in two. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the amazing thing is that now we can go into the Holy of Holies. Those who have put their faith in Christ. And we ought to just have our minds blown by that. We ought to just sit in awe. And too often we're just sitting there thinking, well, how can I get this and how can I get that? And not realizing the amazing privilege that God has given to everyone through the cross in, as we put our faith in Christ. The author of Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews 10, 19-21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus Christ. We need to understand God's holiness, and we need to understand the amazing privilege that he has given us through the cross to enter into God's holiness and not be destroyed by it. The cross protects 
God's holiness and protects you and me as we enter in if we put our faith in Christ. There's another thing the cross does, and that is the cross provides man with complete forgiveness. And, you know, if you look at all religions around the world, you will find that nearly all religions have in some way a means to purify themselves. Hindus bathe themselves in the Ganges River. Muslims perform wudu, which is a washing of the hands and the feet and the face. Jews also wash themselves, their hands especially, or their face, and even their entire bodies. But what's the main thing about all this? It has to be done over and over and over and over again. And you're never sure if you really did it well enough. Again, we can go to Hebrews, and Hebrews helps us understand this so well. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 says, And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it is only the cross of Christ that gives us this once for all understanding of purification from sins. And what a relief that is. And what a relief that is for many who are under a system like Islam or Hinduism and others that require continual, continual, continual cleansing. No one can wash away their own sins because they themselves are impure. Have you ever tried to clean something and then you, you get a rag and you try and clean it and all of a sudden you realize it's a dirty rag? You just made it more dirty. And that's what we're doing when we're trying to cleanse ourselves. We need something that is clean. We need Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, we, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. The cross is a message of purity and forgiveness that puts a period on it and says, Now you are forgiven, and that will continue into eternity. But there's more than that. The cross provides man with the righteousness of Christ. So more than just forgiveness. It's one thing to forgive, but the cross does much more than that. It gives us righteousness. And I like to illustrate this with the idea of marriage in order to understand it. You know, if, if you think about it like this, uh, there's a man and there's a woman and they're in love and the woman turns to the young man and asks him, do you love me? And he responds by saying, well, I don't hate you. Or I don't have any ill feelings towards you. I've never done anything to harm you. So why don't we get married? You think, no, 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 that's not enough. You see, that's kind of the difference between forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ. It's great, we need forgiveness, but we need more. Just like in any relationship, yeah, you shouldn't, not, you shouldn't just have a lack of hate or not harm someone. And I'm sure that girl will say, do you love me? It's not enough to just refrain from doing harm to me. You must love me. And for God to be with us, it's not enough for us just to be forgiven. We have to have His righteousness and His holiness. Thankfully, the cross makes provision for that. Romans 3.21 says, and, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. 
we receive righteousness through the cross. Here's the thing. You can take a dog like this one. You're probably wondering, why does he have a picture of a dog up there, right? You can shave him and dress him like a man and put shoes on him and make him stand on his back legs and put eyeglasses on him, but when you ask him to speak, he's still going to bark because he's still got dog inside. And if you dress up a man in all kinds of rules and religious things and nice things and make him look good and make him look like a Christian, squeeze him a little bit, he's still going to bark because he's still got sin inside. You see, it has to be that internal change that only the cross of Christ can make. No one ever became righteous through the law. It is impossible. We only become righteous through the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Fourthly, we see that the cross proves God's love. Unfortunately, we look around in the world today, there's so many people that are longing for true love, and they're looking for it, and they're looking for it online and everywhere. They're, where can I find true love? And how sad it is that many of them will never find it. And yet there's love out there for everyone. And it's nearer than most people think, and it's the deepest and truest love and it's found in the cross. The cross is a picture of true love. And too many young people go out looking for a crossless love, a love without sacrifice, a love without understanding God's love. Romans 5, 7, and 8, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, even, would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We need that love, and we need it in our marriages, and we need it in our families and my opinion is that why do we have problems in our families and in our marriages? It is because we don't understand and we don't portray this love. We need the cross. 1 John 4, 9, 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, that, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We need to come back to this idea of a substitute, an atonement, a propitiation. And in order to do that, we have to come back to our own personal sins and realize that this was needed for me. And the final thing here is that the cross presents us with an example to follow. See, the, the world just likes to push this one thing. Oh, it's just a good example. But as we understand it through the eyes of Scripture, this is really just a logical conclusion of understanding the main thing. The cross provided us with forgiveness and righteousness by Christ's substitution for our sins. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Unfortunately, we live in a consumer society today that brands that offer us all kinds of things and promise us health and happiness and better experiences and more fun. And that doesn't really work well with the gospel because we say take up the cross. 
but we only say take up the cross after we say go up to the cross and put your faith in Christ because he's the one that carried your cross. And so we can only really take that example once we have put our faith in Christ himself and what he has done for us. If we simply take the cross for our own benefit and move on, you know, we're going to be disappointed thinking, oh, I'm going to get a better life out of this. We'll be disappointed because we don't understand the true meaning of the cross. You know, there is a thing called cheap grace. Cheap grace is really a misunderstanding of the cross of Christ. It is thinking that it didn't cost anything. No, it didn't cost you anything, but it cost the Father the life of His Son. And we need to honor that with our life. We don't pay for our salvation, but in thanksgiving, we live out our salvation. So what does the cross mean for you? What does this mean for us? First of all, the cross of Christ means you can have forgiveness and salvation. Amen? Faith in Christ and his work on the cross removes our impurities, our sin, and gives us the promise of eternal life in God. The cross means you can live a life of thanksgiving and grace. Faith in Christ and his cross allows me to enter into this realm of thanksgiving and live that way and be a gracious person because I know the grace has been given to me. And I'm thankful for God's grace in my life. And I show that grace to others. And my relationships are seasoned with the grace that God has given me. My outlook of life has changed and I can be thankful and I can worship and I can praise in all situations. And finally, the cross of Christ means that you and I are ready to sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Why is there a lack of commitment in the church today? I think it's because we often don't understand the cross. Why is there a lack of faithfulness? We don't often understand the cross. Why is there a lack of willingness to serve? We don't often understand the cross. Sacrifice is no longer avoided at all costs when I understand that it was Christ's sacrifice that is the means for my salvation and that through that I can glorify my Heavenly Father. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the cross not just as a beautiful decoration, but as a truth that Jesus Christ did indeed live that perfect life and die. He was buried and he rose again. And that his sacrifice represents your love for us. It represents our need for forgiveness and salvation and our condition of sinfulness and how we need that repentance. And I pray that you would help us to make the truth of the cross a centerpiece in our life so that we also would exude the grace that you have given us and that we would have a clear testimony of your sacrifice and your love for us to others who are sadly denying the need for the cross and pushing it off to the side. I pray that the cross would become beautiful to us as we see it lived out in the lives of believers in this church, Lord. We thank you for the cross, and we pray this in Jesus' name.